Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. We're excited you're here, and we hope today's message encourages you, builds your faith, and brings you hope for the future. May God bless you as you listen in to today's message. Take all your sermon notes today. Let's get into the Word of God. I want to talk to you today about His first but not as last. If you're new here today, I met some people that are here from Shakopee. Thank you for being here today from Shakopee. I told her, I said, we're from Prior Lake. That's where we moved from. We moved our church from Prior Lake to Burnsville, and Shakopee is right there by Prior Lake, and so we're neighbors, so it's great to have you guys here, and God bless you. And you got a a, a cabin in Clam Lake, did you say? Unclan, yep. And we're in Voyager. So we're, we're neighbors there, we're neighbors here. God bless. Amen. Maybe we're cousins. We don't know it, maybe, right? Right? Good to have you here. God bless you. But anyways, I want to talk to you today about his first, but not his last. And many of you know, I've been starting a series last week in John. And in my devotions over last month, I've been really just digging into John. I'm through John now. But while I was in John, I was really preparing and studying and putting together messages out of John. So today, I want to do my second message out of John today. And it's called his first, but not his last. And I don't know about you, but I, I am a guy that believes in miracles. How many really believe in miracles? We serve a miracle-working God, and therefore, because we serve a miracle-working God, we can expect and we can believe for miracles. When I was going to Bible school, my favorite verse was Luke one thirty-seven: for nothing is impossible with God. And I always had that, nothing is impossible with God, that all things are possible for those who believe. So I always had this thing in my heart that I believe God. But here I am now, I'm now at North Central for three months. And now you, many of you know, I didn't really know who Jesus was. I really hadn't really had an encounter with Jesus. And I really was now starting to grow into the things of God, understanding who the disciples were, the gospel, and all these things, that I was now becoming a new student in Christ. And all of a sudden, after being at North Central Bible College for three months, I receive a phone call from my mother. My mother calls me, and she said, CJ, you really need to come home right now because my third father, Harold, uh, was diagnosed, she said, with cancer. And she said, you need to come home and support the family. So I loaded up the car, and I drove home. And my sister Rhonda and I and my mom met with the doctor. And we knew it was serious because if it wasn't serious, he would have talked to us right there in the waiting room where we were waiting to see what was going on with Harold. But he took us in this little small room. I'll never forget this. He took us, Jane, in this little small room, and he began to share with us some stuff about it wasn't good news. And he said to my mom, he said, we examined Harold, and Harold has a tumor as size of a football in his pelvic area. And he said these words, and I'll never forget he said these words to my sister Rhonda, which is my oldest sister and myself. And he said these words. He said, there's nothing what we could do for Harold but just close him up and just help him to be comfortable. And all of a sudden, now you got to understand, I'm a babe in Christ. Only been a Christian now, I don't know, maybe six months after my conversion, three months now, three months at Bible school. So I've really been only a Christian for six months at that time. But spontaneously, something inside of me, Terry, or Jack, just jumped up inside of me. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget when I was sitting at that little love seat there in that that room, something inside of me says, no, my God is going to heal Harold in Jesus' name. And I just spontaneously said it. And wouldn't you know it, that God completely dissolved that tumor in Harold's body right there in the pelvic area, completely, completely healed him. And Harold lived to 94 years old. 
Come on. Now, you got to understand something. That's a God thing. That was a miracle, a bona fide miracle that I saw right before my eyes. But that was his first miracle that I ever saw. But it wasn't his, just his first or his last. There was many more that would come. Since that time, we've seen many, many miracles happen in our ministry for 40 years. One in particular was in Grand Junction, Colorado. This is documented if you want to find this out. I was worshiping. Our church was growing so fast there in Grand Junction, Colorado, that we were in our first service. And all of a sudden, I'm leading worship. And I used to lead worship for 12 years until I lost my voice, and now I only sing in the shower that I drown myself out, right? But anyways, so here I am. I'm leading worship. And all of a sudden, to the back, all the way to the back on my left, there was all this commotion going on. All this commotion, and you could hear people cheering and, man, clapping and yelling hallelujah and praising God. And all of a sudden, I look, and I wave to the band, and I say, hold on, stop, stop, stop. And the lady in the back, Kenny, where you're sitting, yelled out, Pastor, do you see this? So I came down off the platform. I'll never forget. I walked down like this aisle like here. And there on the floor was a lady named Carol. Now, the unique thing about Carol was this. She was confined to a wheelchair. Carol was confined to a wheelchair that my son, Rick, would go and play Carol in tennis Man, he would play Carol in tennis, and, and I, don't, don't take this in the wrong way, that Carol was confined to a wheelchair, that she had a flat behind from sitting there being confined to a wheelchair. That's how confined she was to a wheelchair. So when I walked back there, I kid you not, Carol was laying on the floor, and people were all around her, and right before my eyes, and you, people always wonder, how did all three of your kids end up in the ministry? I believe that our kids ended up in the ministry because of this very, very miracle. All of a sudden, right there on the floor, laying there, Carol, the legs began to grow. Her, her nylons that were saggy, hanging on her legs, you could see all of a sudden the muscles start to expand, and her nylons began to grow. Before you knew it, Carol, who was laying on the floor, confined to a wheelchair, got up onto her feet and walked down the aisle. The place started erupting. Her husband, Terry, was on his knees, and I'll never forget, just crying and sobbing. Man, my wife, my wife, oh, thank you, Jesus. And he was so elated that the next service, what we did is we took her wheelchair, we placed it on the platform, and we put a big sign in her, in her wheelchair that says, she's not here no more. And then as we got going, we started into worship. Then her and Terry, almost like the bridegroom coming down for the wedding, they started walking down the aisle. When people started seeing Carol walking down the aisle, the whole place erupted. And before you knew it, we saw signs and wonders start to take place here at our altars that people knew now that God was for real. God is a God of miracles. I remember after that time, we went to Mexico. We took 91 youth to Mexico. We went over the border, and we had to break them up into teams, an A team and a B team. And I was the A team, and Chris Hammond, my associate, we had a youth group of 1,000 kids. And so because we had a youth group of 1,000 kids, I had two associates. I had Mike Hammond, uh, uh, Chris Hammond, and then Mike Hathcock. Mike Hathcock took care of the seniors. Chris Hammond took care of the junior high, and I took care of the whole youth group. So what we did is I took A team, and Chris took the B team. In the A team, we went way back in the jungles there in Mexico. I kid you not, way back. 
back in the jungles. That we arrived there, it was so intense there that the crime rate was so high that they had to put guards around our bus to watch our bus so nobody would break into. But off from a distance, there was a tent, and that's where we were going to have our services. So outside, we were doing this outdoor tent revival there in Mexico. And the place was packed. I'll never forget. It was packed. All these Spaniards and man, they spoke Spanish. I had two interpreters as I was speaking that would help interpret what I was saying. And then the altar call came, and I'll never forget this, another miracle that God shows himself. These are bona fide miracles that I saw right before my eyes. A gentleman came forward, and I'll never forget, he was right about in this area. He came forward, and he was an older gentleman, and he had a withered arm, very much just like this. And it was crooked, and it was, you could see his muscles had deteriorated, and his hands were just like this, looking crippled. And it went down, and I began to pray with him. But beside me was one of my youth sponsors, and her name was Andrea Scott. And please understand when I say that she was quite of a, a larger woman. She was an African-American. She was quite large, and so she was standing right next to me. So all of a sudden, God began to heal this man. A man whose arm was confined and locked like this all of a sudden began to grow, and you can see, and he extended his hand, and the place erupted. I mean, to tell you, God did a bona fide miracle right there with his arm. So here was Andrea, like I said, standing right next to me. And the reason why I pointed out that she was quite large because she was start quite strong. All of a sudden, she was praying with a Hispanic woman. Michael, true story. She was praying with a Hispanic woman right next to me. And before you know it, the crowd is going crazy because they're seeing this miracle. All of a sudden, right next to me, she winds up and boom, she punches this lady in the stomach. I thought, what in the world? We're going to get sued. You know where we're at? We're in the middle of a jungle here in Mexico. What are you doing? I said, Andrea, why did you punch her like that? She said, because God told me. You must have heard the wrong voice. <laughs> she punched this girl. And you know what? That young lady came back to the revival service that second night. And when she came back, she came back with this report. She said, Pastor CJ, you're not going to believe it. When Andrea punched me, she said that tumor inside of me broke and it dissolved just like that. And I mean to tell you the place again, you should have seen. And Andrea Scott's watching right now from Oklahoma. And I mean to tell you, she punched her, and that miracle transpired. You see, God is in the business of performing miracles. That's why he says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God is in the business of doing miracles. And my question to you is, God is in the business of doing miracles but are you believing for your miracles? Are you expecting God to do something big in your life? Or have you lost your expectancy? Have you lost that belief that God can do something in your life? You see, what happens is the enemy wants to discourage you, defeat you, so you don't believe or expect for something big in your life. My encouragement to you today is start believing again for your miracles because God is not a respecter of person, but he hears the cries of the righteous and the love let the righteous be forsaken, nor their seed begging for bread. So so God says, do you believe? So in John chapter 2, this really jumped out at me. This is a story of Jesus. It's Jesus performing his first miracle, but not his last. His first miracle to show us that he's able to do great things. You and I know that man turning water into wine is impossible. You need grapes. You need all the things to go along to make wine. But Jesus shows us his power and his might. This is his first miracle, but not his last. In John chapter 2, starting with verse 1, on the third day, 
a wedding took place, a celebration at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. In other words, Mary was there. That's my son. I understand what he came to do. He came to set the captive free. He's a miracle-working God. He's not limited to time, place, or thing. All things are possible for those who believe. Jesus' mother was there. So watch this. It says, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, you have to understand something. In order for a miracle to take place in your life, the first step to transpire for your miracle, you have to invite Jesus into your situation. Jesus is a gentleman. He will not break in. He will not pick your lock. He only comes in by invitation. You have to invite Jesus. You have to invite Jesus in your miracle. The miracle means that it's bigger than you, that you can't control it, you can't dictate it, you can't handle it. That's when God can step in and perform the miracle in which you can't do. God does miracles if you invite them in. A lot of times we invite God in at the last resort. Why don't you start inviting God in when it starts to be a little small thing? Don't let it become a mountain before you invite God in. Don't let your pride get in the way and say, I'm going to do it my way or the highway. Invite God in right away. So when you invite God into your, your situation, you can expect and believe for a miracle. So watch this. Verse 3. He says this. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother, Mary, said to him, they have no more wine. Now, you've got to understand that. They have no more wine. What an embarrassment. What a shame. Lack of preparation. That they ran out of wine during this celebration. The biggest time of their person's lives of wedding, they ran out of wine. Well, watch this. Verse 4. When the woman, woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Why did he say, Jesus, why do you involve me? Because Mary, the mother of Jesus, knew that he was a miracle-working God. Can I ask you a question? Why don't you involve him? Why don't you involve him? She involved him. And it goes on. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. To obey is better than to sacrifice. How many of you, God has told you maybe to do something, and you said, God, you must be speaking to someone else? Right? Or, God, you had bad pizza last night. You, 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 something else is on your mind. So you maybe miss or forfeit your miracle because you want to let someone else do it. But then he goes on. He said, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. That's a lot of water, right? Right? Now watch this. Verse 7. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. In other words, they just fill them halfway. They were full all the way. Verse 8, he goes on. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Though the servant who had drawn the water knew, then he called the bridegroom aside. And watch what he says. And said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first. 
then the cheaper wine after. And the guests have had too much to drink, but they have saved the best for last. They had too much to drink. I'm too dizzy. My head is spinning like a whirlwind making me spin, right? So they get the best out first to get them dizzy, right, to make them happy. So why did you save the best, Jamie, for last? The problem is when Jesus comes into your situation, he doesn't do things halfway. He does it all the way. And when he does it, he does it right. He does it right. So if you have your notes, listen to this. In this story, Jesus makes a wrong right. And here's the wrong. The lack of preparation. Not having enough to take care of the guests. Running out. And what else he makes a right? The preparation, the embarrassment that could have happened. Man, the embarrassment that you ran out of wine. Can you imagine that? How many of you have ever had a party and you ran out of food? And you got embarrassed like, oh, man, I should have got that extra box of crackers. I should have got that extra meat. I should have done this. And you get embarrassed because you didn't have enough. And back in those days, that they, they took their pride in making sure that they were taking care of the, the guests and the crowd. So the embarrassment and also the sadness. Oh, no. But he turned it to joy. This story gives us hope that when his first miracle, but wasn't his last. It wasn't his last miracle. That God is still in the business for today. God's miracles are available to us if we ask. Some time ago, when Cheryl and I, and please understand when I tell you the story, it's a miracle that Cheryl and I were believing for. And at times we thought this miracle wasn't going to happen. And maybe this can, you can, are relatable to you. Maybe you understand this miracle when I talk to you today. And I'm not trying to get graphic. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. Maybe you've gone through this. I just want you to give you hope of what your God is like. When Cheryl and I got married, we always had dreams and aspirations of having three children. She wanted it boy, boy, girl. I wanted it boy, girl, boy. And God heard Cheryl's prayer. So, ladies, God answers ladies' prayers. Amen? He, 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 he hears ladies more than he hears guys, right? And so, anyways, you know what happened? We were unable to have children. And so we were told we, we couldn't have children. So Cheryl and I, that's why we went into adopting, or we looked into adopting. And then we brought into all these foster kids, and we had to go to all these classes to be foster parents. So we had foster parents in our house, and uh, kids in our house. And then we tried to have kids. We couldn't have them, so we were looking into adopting. But then, miraculously, God performed a miracle. I expect a miracle. Miracle. I expect a miracle. I expect a miracle. My wife, who was told by many doctors that she could not become pregnant, now became pregnant. So four months into her pregnancy, now please, if this relates to you, maybe you understand, and I understand where you're at. Four months into her pregnancy, just prior 
to us leaving to go to Montevideo, Minnesota, we were just with a couple, Phyllis and Mike. And we were just with them, and she just had a miscarriage. So we had that heavy on our heart just prior to us leaving that day to go to Montevideo, Minnesota. So as we left Mike and Phyllis and helping them through their problem or their hurt, which I totally understand, and maybe you were there, we left and we went to McDonald's there on Lake Street in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We stopped at McDonald's and we ordered our food and Cheryl went to the restroom and I went to order the food. I expect a miracle. Cheryl came out of the bathroom and frantic, just her man, just in paranoid, white as a sheet. She was crying. I said, honey, what is wrong? I had the McDonald's in my hand and I said, honey, what is wrong? She said, it's me. And the whole front of her, please, I'm not trying to be graphic, was covered in blood. Got in the car, we're praying all the way. God, if you want to take my son or my daughter, God, we submit it into your hands. We got to the hospital there, and there was two guys who were having massive heart attacks that they couldn't see us right away, but they put us in a room with a nurse. And that nurse brought hope to us because we knew who that nurse was. She was in our Maz class. <laughs> breathe, honey, breathe. Right? So she knew us by name. We knew her by name, and she brought comfort to us. So she began to prepare us and set us up for the worst. So we began to pray. We just began to pray, God, let your will be done. And I kid you not, Maureen, I kid you not, as we're in this little waiting room, all of a sudden, God showed up. And when God shows up, he shows out. And the room lit up, and it was so bright. We were just praising God, and we were singing to the Lord. All of a sudden, this peace of God that transcends all understanding came to our heart and our minds and our body and our soul. That I left the room and went to the car, got to McDonald's, brought it back in the room. We ate McDonald's. Now the doctor finally came. He began to examine my wife. My wife, he looked at my wife and I. He was puzzled. And he said, what is wrong here? There's nothing wrong. And the nurse was in a tizzy. She was running back and forth. Look, 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 look at all this evidence. Look at what's happening. He says, there's nothing wrong. Five months later. I had a boy. And today, he is 6'7", and married to a little lady who is 5'2". And every time he has to kiss her, she has to step on a step to get to reach him. And then they'll be able to kiss. They have two beautiful kids. But it was a miracle. It was his first it's miracle, and it's not his last. And God is not a respecter of person. But my question to you, are you believing for your miracle? Why did I tell you these stories? Because in Romans chapter 10, watch what it says. It builds your faith. Consequently, faith cometh from hearing the message. My prayer is that that which I'm telling you today and the signs and wonders that I've seen and the miracles that God has done throughout our ministry I'm here to edify and ignite your faith. 
Because some of you have lost maybe the excitement or the zeal or even the anticipation of a miracle happening in your own life. And my prayer is to ignite Harlan, to believe that God wants to do something, Kenny, big in your life. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. This is about my God, your God, the God in which we so boldly proclaim that we say, God, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the one that can do all things. We can say it. We can sing it. But my question is, do you believe it? And that's the God in which you serve. The God that says, faith cometh by hearing. And I'm hearing that, God, you do all these things. And, God, you can do it for them. I know, God, you can do it for me. God is not a specter of person. He loves us all that those that cry out to him, he's not going to cast you away as orphans. But the Bible said he'll come to you. And our God loves us. So my prayer is that I ignite your faith to believe for your miracle. So look at this. Jesus' first miracle is the beginning for your miracle and your breakthrough. The beginning for your miracle. If he did it back then, he can do it today because he's the same yesterday, Randy, today and forever. God can do it back then. He can do it today. Miracles are for today. They were back then 2,000 years ago. Jesus has never lost his power from yesterday till the present. Aren't you glad about that? That we serve a God that is not limited to time, place, or things. We serve a God that can face his face into the wind and tell the wind enough is enough. We serve a God that can say that the winds be calm and they can be calm. And we serve a God that's on your side that can say enough is enough to your situation. Somebody say amen. I watch this. Many people only believe in miracles until they see them. I always say stop being Missouri. Show me state. I'll believe it when I see it. That's not faith. Faith is the substance of things unseen, but things hoped for. Right? Miracles start by what you hear, hopefully by today, me igniting your faith. Believe, Matthew 21, 22, if you believe, you shall receive whatever you ask in prayer. So believe, and then what else? And receive. By what you hear, believe, and receive. You see, wrong believing, get this, wrong believing, wrong hearing will intercept your miracle and steal your faith. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Wrong hearing and wrong believing will intercept your miracle. Some of us are cutting short of our miracles because we're listening to the wrong voices and wrong voices make wrong choices and you're listening to this stuff and it's intercepting or stealing you from your miracle. You get so close but yet so far. And God said, just continue to believe and quit listening to the peanut galleries of no. But I ask you these questions. What's stealing your miracles? Have you ever thought about that? Maybe some of you haven't because you become dormant. You become insensitive. You become numb. You're not believing anymore. But maybe you're like that because these things have stole your emotions, your feelings, your expectancy. The first one, what's stealing your miracle? The first one is this. Past unanswered prayers. Pastor, you don't understand. I prayed and I prayed. I believed, I believed, and nothing has happened. How many of you ever said that before? 
Can you imagine the Luke 18, the persistent widow? She kept coming for her liberty. She kept coming, she kept coming, she kept coming. When did you ever put a timetable on God? Just because you come to the altar one time doesn't mean it doesn't going to happen. you got to be persistent in your coming. I love it when people come to the altars. Man, I don't care how many times you come to the altar. Man, I tell you, you're going to get mine. And if I want something bad enough, I'm going to take on a second job to be able to buy it if I wanted something bad enough. And if you want something bad enough in your life, who have ever told you to stop coming to Jesus even because you didn't get that prayer answered right off the bat? You keep coming to God. Man, you keep coming until he answers. And he may not answer sometime in the way you want it to, but he's going to answer. Another one is this. The war wounds from your battles. You don't understand, Pastor. I tried this Christian thing. I tried this belief thing. I tried all these things. You don't understand the hurts that I went through in life, the pains that I went through in life. Yesterday, we had a couple sitting at our table, the war wounds that they have gone through in their life. You should have saw it was amazing what God did yesterday. The war wounds that really hurt them, and because they hurt them, they put up walls. And because they put up walls, they became insensitive to the things of each other and with God. How many of you have put up walls between God because you're afraid to reach out again? You've been hurt in the battle. You don't want to have any scars. Let me remind you of this. Scars are not to hold you back from your future. Scars are a reminder. They're a reminder of the victory that you had during that time to help you go through your future. And a lot of times what we do is we hold on to our scars as a badge and say, listen, I got this scar on my chin when I was riding a bike. Like, hey, this is a real story. Under my chin, I got this scar under my, under my chin right now when I was riding a bike and I had no handle grips on. And it cut me and it lacerated my chin open. And I had all this stint. And every time I look at myself when I'm shaving, it's a reminder that I had pain. But I don't let that scar hold me back from my future. And some of you let emotional scars hold you back from your future. What scar or wounds are holding you back? Hearing the words, it will never happen. When I was a kid, man, sixth grade, I wanted to take up instruments. You know my, my family history, my dad and all what he did with Johnny Cash and everything else that he played, this, all these instruments. So I wanted to be like father, like son. So when I was sixth grade, I wanted to pick up the violin. When I picked up the violin there at Winslow Elementary School, the teacher looked at me and said, you will never be a violinist. You have too many thumbs. So you know what I did? I put down the violin. And you know what? I wish that I could be playing an instrument like Andrew and all the rest. But I heard the words of no. How many of you have heard the words of no and they're still resonating in your mind? They're staying there, and because you heard the words of no, you put yourself in a cocoon, and you trapped yourself to make yourself feel safe. Because my mom, my dad, my grandma, my grandpa said it'll never happen, so I'm not even going to try or attempt to believe for that. Another one is this, let down of expectations. How many ever believed and it didn't happen? And so, therefore, why should I believe again? And so, therefore, you don't ask anymore. And so it steals your miracle. Another one is too weak to believe. Pastor, I'm just too weak to believe. My faith is weak. Man, I'm just too weak. I'm fragile. Let me celebrate you and say thank you. Amen. I'm happy for you. You know why? Because God doesn't look for full. 
He looks for empty. And in your weakness, that's when he becomes strong in your life. You see, listen, when you're at your wit's end and you're feeling weak, guess what? That means you can't take things in your own hands, your own, control it, and do what you think you should do. That means you're really receptible and really in dire needs of God to do a miracle in my life because, God, I'm not able, but I know you are. And God said, oh, thank you, Jesus. They're ready now. They're like John the Baptist. I decrease, you may increase. They're like Paul. I die, you live. Now I can come and bring myself or show myself to you. So if you're weak right now, be not dismayed. That's when God comes. He comes for the underdog, the one that's feeling down and discouraged and defeated and feeling weak. If you would take time to listen again, Take time to listen again. God is whispering. Michael, here's what he's saying. He's whispering. He whispers to you. Adam, I can. I can. And I will. Do you hear him whispering again? Terry. I can. Andrew, I will. You see, why is it that we have to hear the big gongs or the loud noises to think we're hearing from God? God whispers, Chris. He says, I can. Jim, I will. You see, it wasn't in the noise when Elijah said, I didn't hear the noise but it was in a whisper that God spoke, Harlan. He'd whisper it. Jordan, I can provide. I will guide. I will. This is prophetic for you, Jordan. And I will direct your steps. Do not be dismayed. God is opening doors that no one can shut. And he's shutting doors that no one can be open. Boop, that's, I, I don't want to get the prophesying here, but that's for you. I can. And I will. So in John 2, verse 5, when Mary said, do whatever he tells you, translate it, what Mary is actually saying, here's what it is. Translation, what Mary is saying, Jesus is in charge. Jesus is in charge. I'm not, Mary's saying. He runs the world. I don't. But I love this one. He sees the future. I don't. That's what Mary's saying. He sees the future, not me. He sees your future. He knows the plans that he has for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope for your future. Jeremiah 29, 11, he said, then you call to me and I will answer you and I will show you things that you can't even fathom or imagine. Jeremiah 33, 3, he said, you call to me, then I will show you and I will tell you the plans that I have for your future. But you got to call. Call. Whatever he tells you to do, do whatever he means and wants you to do, whatever to do. Whatever means whatever. Whatever he says, whatever he commands, even if, he what, if his whatever is a nothing, whosoever do it. Mary made it clear, Jesus is the king of the wedding like he is the king of your miracle. Mary's faith to believe moved Jesus to action. Her faith touched his heart. 
of compassion. Amen? Touched her heart. How many of you know you get the, when you get older, you get older at night, you get up at, the, at those 3 o'clock in the mornings, you know, you go to that called bathroom breaks? Let me know what I'm talking about. I hate it when I have guests in the house because then I have to put shorts on or have to put on some sweatpants and walk to the bathroom. But I like it when nobody's there, right? You just get up in your skibbies and go to the bathroom, make sure the lights don't turn on and kind of feel your way, right? But about a month ago, my, uh, my furnace went out. And so thank you for a bathroom break at this time. Uh, because my furnace went out, I had to light a fire in my fireplace, and I had to put all these electric heaters all over through my house to keep my house warm from freezing the pipes. So I woke up, my usual potty break, about 3 o'clock in the morning, and I looked downstairs, and my fireplace was just about going out, and the fire was just about going out. It had a few embers there left in the fireplace. So I went downstairs. And I put some more wood on the fire, and I brought one of those stokers. How many of you got one of those air things you stoke the fire with? We have one of those things. And I started blowing wind on the, on the embers. And, man, all of a sudden, before you know it, after a couple of minutes of blowing, man, all of a sudden, if you know this to be true, watch this. How many of you know when you're doing that, and all of a sudden, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you hear that. It just all of a sudden, the fire just takes off. Well, that's what happened. I stoked the embers, and once I stoked the embers, it just went, whoo, and it just took off, ignited. You know what? That's what God does to you. He blows wind in your sail when you feel you're going out. God can take your little faith if you give it to him and blow life back into you again. I'm not trying to give you a pep rally, but to try to help rekindle your faith. We got to rekindle our faith. Rekindle your faith. I think these times getting away, so I'm going to move real quickly. Verse six: the stone jars. You notice that he said six water jars. You know how many? If you look this up and study in the concordance, yeah. Go ahead, Pastor Andrew, music team. Check this out. If you look this up about the six water jars and the amount of what was happening there, look at this: six water jars could create enough wine for seven hundred. And 56 bottles of wine. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? How many remember the song? 99 beers, 99 beers, and the beers on the wall. 99 beers on the wall. Take one down, pass it around. 98 beers on the wall. And you keep going down until you go. Can you imagine that? 756 wine on the wall. 756 bottles of wine. And they have to do that all the time. They have to go all the way down until they complete the wine being drink. Can you imagine that? 756 bottles of wine. It shows that God doesn't do things halfway. He does it all the way. You see, the miracle of Jesus resulted not just in abundance of wine, but the abundance of good wine. But here's what I want you to know. We're going to go into this. And so you can start right here, Andrew. Miracles happen in two ways. Watch this out. Miracles happen in two ways. So if you're expecting your miracle, you can expect it in these two ways. The first one, gradual. Gradual means takes time in the process. We don't like that. We don't like the graduals because, man, that means we have to continue to walk in faith and not by sight. That continues to mean that we have to continue to be the dog on the bone and be that pit bull and keep hanging on and not letting go. We don't like that because it requires action. It requires faith. It requires trust. It requires energy. And we don't want to do that. So we always like the second one. The second one is this, the suddenly. We like the suddenly. We want to see spontaneous, miraculous miracles like Carol, like Mexico, like my wife. We want to see miracles like my father, the first miracle I ever saw. Suddenly, without delays, 
or disruptions. We like those. We go to McDonald's. We want it now. We go to Willy Wonka. I want a golden goose now, daddy. We want it now, right? Doesn't happen that way. Whatever or however your miracle comes, believe for it, wait for it, and ask for it. Ephesians chapter 3, as we close. Watch this. You got to get this. I'm just going to blow through this because I want to get to verse 21. Now to him who is able, talking about God, to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, that our God is able to do immeasurably more even what we even ask or fathom or imagine. But look at who he's talking about. You can quote verse 20. But verse 21 is really the key. Look at verse 21. To him be the glory in the church. Where God shows up, he shows out. And what he's saying, Molly, who's the church? It's you and I. So he says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. You notice what he said? He didn't say 2,000 years ago. He said through all generations. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. There is no period. There's no end point with God. It continues on. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. The Bible says that you will do greater things than I have done. That's the God we serve. You see, God desires to bless and move within the church and the body of Christ. He desires to heal us. He desires to provide for us. And His desire is to meet your need or right, you, right in your place of despair. That's God's desire. In a moment, I want to pray with you. And I know that time's getting away, but the first service, God did some miracles in the first service. But I want you to stand with me for a moment, will you? We're going to go into this song. You can't tell me he can't do it. In the moment that we're going to pray with you, and I understand that your roast might be burning right now and you have to leave, whatever. But we're going to pray. We want to pray. But we're going to sing this song. And if you need a miracle in your body, if you need a miracle in your body, please, you should have seen God touch the guy right here to my right with his back. If you need a miracle in your body, when we start singing this song, Will you step out, and we're going to pray with you. I'm coming down, and I want to lay my hands on you. If you need a miracle, once they start singing, just step out. I've seen things in me. I've seen miracles my mind can comprehend. There is beauty in what I can't understand. Jesus, it's you. Come on. Jesus, it's you. Oh, I can't resurrect a man with my own hands. But just a man should can raise a dead. You believe that? So all the glory to Jesus, it's you. Jesus, it's you. For I 
Thank you for listening to today's message. If this message has encouraged you in any way, please consider giving to Adventure Church to help continue this ministry. Giving is safe and easy through our website at www.adventurechurchsiren.com. Thank you for your generous support.